All right, we're going to go ahead, and this is actually the final week of our Courage series. Um, it has been a, a, a process, it's been a series I've enjoyed tremendously to bring to you because I do believe this is something that, that God spoke to my heart about what we need in this coming year, and that has been courage. And we've talked about a lot of different things that we need courage for, and, and things that, that some of the things have been easy to share, some of the things have been somewhat hard to share. And it's important that we understand that, that all of this is a part of what I believe God is calling us to do, not just as an individual, but as a church family to really uh, move forward with what God has for us in this coming year. And so the final one we're going to talk about is maybe one you haven't thought about, maybe one that you think, for some people this is going to be a rather easy one, and for some of us this may be one of the hardest ones that we are going to have to do. But the thing is, all of the things that we've shared are, are, are very, in my view and from what I see in Scripture, are things that are kind of non-negotiable. These aren't things that we can kind of decide on. I don't know if you are a, a picky eater or you're the type of eater that eats everything. I, unfortunately, for my wife and my family, am a picky eater. I, I, I don't like certain types of food. I like certain things, and, 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 and you, if you get to know me, I tend to order the same thing every single time that I go to the restaurant, and I want it a certain way, and, and I'm the type of guy that will have no problem sending something back if they put something on it. Like some of you are like, oh, it's okay, I'll just take off these things, and I'm like, nope, nope, okay, no. And we're, I'm a picky eater, but we can't be picky eaters when it comes to what God's word is telling us. We can't look at it and go, well, this doesn't fit my palate, or this isn't what I really want to eat right now, or this doesn't sit so well with me. We have to understand that God has put all of these things in his word as commandments for a reason, because we need them. How many times have you grown up and maybe your mom or your grandmother made you eat something you didn't want to eat because they said, this is good for you. They didn't say it tasted good, notice. They said, it's good for you. And all of these things that we've shared, all of these things in this series, if you've missed any of them, I encourage you to go back and, and, and uh, look at them. They're online and things like that. But all of these things are things I believe that God has commanded us and desires for us to, to partake of. So the final one as we bring this series to a close is in your notes is this. It takes courage to find and be a part of a family. It takes courage to find and be a part of a family. And look, I understand that for some of us, that family concept or that word is, is a dirty word. There's a lot of things that are wrapped up in that concept. But, and we're going to unpack it together. But we need to understand that God has commanded us to experience that type of thing. I don't, we don't do it a ton anymore, but I grew up, and I know many of you grew up, where if there was somebody that was older than I was, I didn't call them Miss so-and-so, or I didn't call them by their first name. I called them Sister so-and-so, or Brother so-and-so. Why? Why? I think in a lot of ways it was because we had to understand that those individuals were part of our family. My pastor's wife, uh, or, or, that, that grew up, I, it was Pastor Johnson and Sister Johnson. I remember thinking for a long, long time as a kid that her name was Sister. When I found out her name was Sonia, I was like, whoa, 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 my whole world was shocked. No, 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 that's Sister Johnson. No, Sonia, oh, no, no, okay, Sister Sonia Johnson. No, it didn't make sense. But God has called us to work and live and experience life together. Look at Psalm 68. I love this verse. This verse really shows a lot about who God is and what he's called us to do. But look at it. Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6a. God says this about himself. He is the father to the fatherless. You realize that, that God could have called himself anything. He could have talked about anything to help us understand the relationship that he desires with us. And he picks, most of the time, the concept of father. So what does he say? I am a father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. And look at verse 6. God places the lonely in families. God places the lonely in families. Now, let's stop there for just a second and really see what this is trying to communicate to us. 
okay? This may be a little bit of a shock to you, but God desires to place you places. This is not an accident, okay? Some of us think that we just walk into things like we're just, you know, walking off a pier into the lake. God is placing people and placing individuals in certain places and for certain times. But God says, listen, if you're lonely, I want to place you in a family. I don't desire for you to be lonely or go through this life alone. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this moment and this time. God, as we look at these concepts and as we look at these, these, these commands, Father, I pray that you would help us to open our heart. Father, I especially right now pray for those who, for, for them, family is kind of a dirty word. Relationships have caused pain and hurt. And Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that they would open their hearts like they never have before to the truth that your Spirit wants to share with them. And that, Father, that my words would cease and that yours would begin. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at this together. Let's unpack a little bit of this together. Why does it take courage to find and be a part of a family? Why is this even a part of the series? You would think that it would be easy, that, you know, that, oh, well, of course we're supposed to be together. We look and we see in Scripture time and time again, even at the beginning where God says to Adam, it's not good that man should be alone. We see Jesus desiring companionship. We see Jesus drawing 12 men close to himself to be his disciples. And then we see even three that are even closer to him. Listen, if Jesus needed friends, so do you. If Jesus needed people around him, so do you. And listen, if you think that the concept was, well, you know, he just had those 12 disciples because those are the people that he were going to have go out and, and make a difference in the world. Well, yeah, I agree with that. But there is more. Remember, Jesus was all God and all man. We see in Scripture at times, Jesus felt alone. He liked a year around people. And Jesus needed that. But why does it take courage to be a part of a family or find family. I, I, I wrote three things, and, and, and I think we need to look at these together. Number one, the fear of change. The fear of change. And you go, wait, 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 really? Change? What do you mean? It's really simple. A lot of us are not living in the community or the family that God's called us to do. And to do that, we're going to have to make some changes. Let me give you an example. If, for example, your idea of church is to show up at 9.59 and leave whenever I'm done or leave before I say amen, you might have to make some changes to be a part of the family. You might have to look at things a little bit differently. You may have to be willing to say, you know... Maybe I need to invest in some people and invest in some relationships so that I can have the type of family that God wants me to have. But it takes the willingness to change. And look, I don't like change either. I just told you before, when I go to certain restaurants, I order the same thing. Now that's because I'm picky, but it's also because I'm not a big fan of change. You know, here's the thing when it comes to change, you have to understand, and this is, I think, in some ways, really where it really boils down to for a lot of people. The change that we have to make to be in family, and hear me here, is the concept or the understanding that when we do that, we're basically giving another person in our lives a vote. Okay? We're going to have a, a business meeting here in a little bit, and there will be voting that will take place in that meeting. And when we're alone, and when we're lonely, what I have found is we have one vote. Let me give you a perfect example. When I was single, I would come home to my apartment. It was empty, except for stuff and me. And I would have to make this decision every single night. What am I going to have for dinner? What am I going to eat tonight? And normally, let's be honest, it was horrible, terrible things for me, okay? But I have to make that decision. What am I going to eat? I now live with a wonderful woman and an awesome little boy. And guess what? We still have the same decision to make every night. But you know what happens now? Now, my wife says, what do you want for dinner? And I say, uh, uh, what do we got? 
and Easton has an opinion. You know what I found? When you live in a family, you're giving other people votes. You're letting them sometimes dictate the decisions that are made. There are things that I don't like to eat very much, but for some strange reason, probably because he's seven, my son loves to eat them. And I could do without them for the rest of my life. But you know what? Sometimes I'll go, okay, I'll eat that. Why? Because I have entered into a relationship and a family, and therefore he gets a vote. Some of us have to be willing to change that mindset to say, you know what? We need to let people have votes in our lives. We need to let them be a part of our situation or our circle so that we can allow them to influence us in special ways. Okay? Like I just said, when I was single, I didn't eat very well. I've gotten married, and guess what? I have to eat vegetables now. <laughs> can you believe that? Vegetables. When normally it would just be easier to eat french fries, which is technically a vegetable. And I get told, no, 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 it's a starch. No, no. And it's funny, you're laughing because you've all said that before sometimes. But we have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to allow that to change. If, and that takes courage. Listen, hear me here. This is in your notes. And you need to understand this because I really believe this. It's not that change isn't scary. Okay? It's not that change isn't scary. It is that change is worth it. Okay? It's worth it. In all of these things, you need to understand some, a, a simple concept. All these things may be hard. All these things may be difficult. All, everything we've talked about throughout this series could be scary in some way, shape, or form. Otherwise, it wouldn't take courage to do it. But it is worth it. Number two. Number two. The fear of rejection. The fear of rejection, that scares people a lot, okay? Let me, I know it's kind of interesting, I'm telling a lot of stories about, you know, family because that's what we're talking about, but, but we have to be willing to, to deal with this idea, okay? We have to understand that rejection is a situation that is real, okay? We're, I'm, I'm not going to act like it's not, okay? I'm not going to try to, oh, no, 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 you'll never be rejected. No, you're going to get rejected. But let me tell you a story, okay, that maybe help you understand why sometimes it's worth the risk, okay? Several years ago now, okay, I was a youth pastor in Albuquerque, and, and we were at this, this uh, actually at a third day concert of, of all places, because it was, you know, early 2000s, and we were, we were awesomely cool like that. And so we were at a third-day concert, and I had a girl in my youth group, and she was going to say, hey, I, or, I'm going to come to the concert, but I'm going to come later on. We're not going to come with you, but I'll meet you at the concert. I said, great, no problem, fine. And so, so we're all there with the kids, and I'm trying to make sure none of the kids are doing anything they shouldn't do, and all of a sudden I hear, hey, Pastor Aaron! And I look over, and there she is. And she's standing there with someone I've never seen before. I'm like, well, who is that? So I walk over and say, hey, how you doing? She goes, hi, I, I'm, I'm so glad I'm here. I'm so glad you're here. Listen, I want to introduce you to my sister. Oh, hello, nice to meet you, so and so forth. Not much happened, but then later on, she got picked up again by her sister, and I walked out, oh, that's nice, so hi, hi, nice to meet you. Um, hmm. Boy, that sister, she's, she's kind of pretty. You know, maybe... Maybe I could fool her and see if she wants to go out and have dinner sometime. So I get all much of courage up and I pick up the phone. Hello? <clears throat> Hello? <clears throat> this is this is Aaron. Oh hi, hi, hi Emily. Yeah, that's good to talk to you. Yeah. Hey, uh, if you're not busy, you know, would you maybe want to go ahead and grab some some dinner? You know, and she said yes. I don't know why, I don't know how, I pray a lot. That's all I can figure out. And she said yes. But here's the thing. If I hadn't been willing, and of course you know who this, this, this is not another Emily, it's that one, okay? Just so we make that clear, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the one, yeah, she's the sister. I would still be single if I wasn't willing to risk the rejection, okay? 
Sometimes you have to be willing to do that. Listen, it's in your notes. Unless you risk being rejected, you will never be accepted. Unless you're willing to risk that. And listen, I'm being honest with you here. Listen, the, people, and we'll get into this maybe later. I, maybe I shouldn't get there yet. But, but there's risks involved here. Yeah, there are people that might not like you. There are people that might not see things eye to eye like you see them. But listen, you're not going to be accepted unless you're willing to be rejected. I found so many people that'll sit in a church or sit in, in a situation and they'll just sit there and they won't do anything. They'll just sit there and they'll wait for people to come up to them or wait for people and they're unwilling to put themselves out there. And then I'm sorry to say, a lot of times those people will come to the pastor and say, you know, your church is very unfriendly. We got to be willing to take that chance. Why? Not because it's not scary, but because it's worth it. Because it's worth it. The final one, and this is obviously one that we need to talk about, is the fear of hurt. The fear of hurt. Look, I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you hang around me long enough, I will disappoint you. I will hurt you. I will do things that you don't understand. I did not say maybe I would. I said I would. I'm going to hurt you. Now listen, hear my heart on this. I will never wake up in the morning, rub my hands together, cackle with an evil laugh, and go, I can't wait to hurt Alan Shank this morning. But you know what? I'm going to have a bad day. I'm going to be frustrated with something, and I'm going to be short with you, or I'm going to say the wrong thing, and I'm going to hurt you. I am. And sometimes that hurt becomes so ingrained and so deep that it literally, and hear me on this, it doesn't just affect the relationship of the person who was hurt and the person who did the hurting. It affects every single relationship you have from then on out. There are some times where we'll have a situation with somebody and we want to get close to them and we just can't figure out, what did I do? I, I don't think I did anything wrong. Why are they so combative with me? I'll tell you, sometimes it's because 15 years ago somebody did something and they didn't get the healing that God desired to do in their heart and they carried that hurt around and so instead of walking into relationships with this idea of I'm ready for a relationship I'm ready for God to do something cool in my heart with individuals and allow that to take place we walk in like this we walk in with our hands up going man anytime you move the wrong move I'm going to smack you anytime you do something I'm going to be looking at it in a way that says you're going to hurt me you're going to do something and you know what? it's really really hard to have a relationship with people who are constantly uh, kind of ducking and weaving perceived threats. Because nor normally, usually what happens is, 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 is you do the one wrong thing. You say the one thing that, you know what, maybe that person did or whatever, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, wait! And I'm out. Listen, people are being transformed by God. And that's a process. And we have to understand that at times, we are going to hurt people, and people are going to hurt us. Now here's what's amazing about understanding as a Christian how we should see that. Jesus can heal it all. He can take whatever the hurt, however deep it is, however much the bitterness is, and he can work it and heal it and make it brand new. The problem is, unfortunately, there are so many people who refuse to let Jesus do the healing that he so desperately wants to do. And it affects everything. I've seen it destroy marriages. I've seen it destroy relationships with children. I've seen it destroy relationships with friends. And sometimes it's not even the wife or the husband who had the issue. It was somebody else. My mom did something to me, and therefore my wife will do the same thing. Or my, my father did something, and there's a barrier, and there's this problem that never gets resolved. Listen to me and hear my heart. God desires healing in your life. But unfortunately, God will not grab you, throw you down on the floor, and heal you. 
It has to be a desire of your heart. You've got to be willing to go to him and say, Father, I need healing. It's amazing to me how many times in Scripture, physically, we see Jesus healing individuals, and he knows the need. But he says, what do you want me to do for you? There's a blind man lying on the side of the road. Jesus says, what do you want me to do? He, he, he doesn't say, well, you're blind. Dunk. See, what do you want me to do? And some of us, we need to understand that that hurt needs to be dealt with because it's affecting so much. And it's just, we just won't let it happen. It's, it's, we, we, want, we want to have relationship, but we want to keep people out of our circle. And that's just not what God has. So I want to look at a story. I want to look at a story. Let's look at a story of a family in action. I always loved this story as a kid. So we're going to be in Mark 2. In Mark 2, we see this great story, and it's going to be up on the screen. Starting with verse number 1, this is what it says. When Jesus returned to, concur- to, to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door while he was preaching God's word to them. Now let's stop there and let's kind of give you an idea, obviously, of what's going on. Jesus here has been talking and his new, the news of his healing and, and all these things are beginning to spread and people are coming to hear him speak. And basically, we, this is definitely not the time of COVID, okay? They are wall to wall, shoulder to shoulder, close, close, close. And they're wanting to hear what is happening. And this is kind of the situation. They're in a home. Okay, now let's continue on with verse number three. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Okay? They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they gave up and went home because it wasn't worth it. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me read that again. They couldn't bring Jesus because to, to, to him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Now let's stop here before we get to verse number five. I know it's up there, but we'll, we'll come back to it, Monica, in just a moment. So let's, let's, let's think about what's just taking place here. Okay? So we read this stuff, and we, we can gloss over it so quickly because, because of just the understanding. So, so what are we seeing here? Jesus is in a home. It's packed. There's no place to go. Four men carry a paralyzed man on a mat. So you got one on each corner, and they're carrying him. I got a feeling the guy weighed something. I got a feeling they had to travel a little bit of a distance. And so they're thinking, hey, we got to get this man to Jesus. This is important. This is vital. This is going to change his life. And they get there. And you know what? There's an inconvenience. It's too crowded. There's not room. They can't make their way through. So can we be honest with ourselves for just a moment? In our world today, you know what a lot of us do? A lot of us say, you know what? I'm, I, I just can't make it through. It, there's, just, there's just no room. We've got to stay six feet apart. You know, whatever. I'm just teasing there a little bit. Okay. But we can't get to Jesus. Well, I guess we'll go home. I guess we'll just, I'm sorry, whatever the paralyzed man's name was, let's call him Joe. I'm sorry, Joe, we just can't get you to Jesus, and they turn around and go home. But no, no. You see, a family in action, hear me here, when they decide that they need to get somebody to Jesus, they don't take no for an answer. They don't care about what the inconveniences might be. So what scriptures say? They basically get to the roof. They get to the roof. Now, I don't know about you, I've very rarely carried anybody, and especially carried somebody when it comes to basically having the four corners of a sheet, but I got a feeling that's not an easy proposition. Whether they're going up a ladder or stairs, we're not sure which, that's hard work. You got to balance. And here's something else we need to understand something, okay? And we'll get to this in just a second. It took not only a lot of faith for these guys to carry the guy, it took a lot of faith for the guy on the mat, why? 
Real simple. It's real easy to get dropped when you're being carried. And you know what? Getting dropped hurts. But you know what? It might have been scary. But the man on the mat believed it was worth it. So they carry it. And what do they do? Property damage. <laughs> I always was like, like, was the guy that, that owned the house, you know? What was he thinking? You know, here's Jesus. I mean, just guys, come on. You've got to picture this story. I know we've heard this story before, but we've got to put some, some flesh and blood on the bones here. There's, Jesus is preaching. Jesus is bringing it. Jesus is sharing God's word. And all of a sudden, there's little rocks falling down on his noggin. Little pieces of, you know, stuff. And all of a sudden, there's this like... And just thinking about Jesus and who he is, can you imagine what Jesus... And he knew what was coming. But can you imagine Jesus looking up and going, oh, skylight. You know, what would he have said at that moment? So they, they get him away. Now listen, this is a little hole. This is a large hole to get a man through on a cot, basically. They separate it away. And they begin to lower him down to Jesus. Didn't matter how much work it took. Didn't matter they had to change their plans. Didn't matter all they cared about. The five men. Because the guy on the mat counts too. I just got to get to Jesus. I just got to get to Jesus. Listen, now let's pick it up in verse 5. Listen to what Jesus says. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now later on, you know, we're not going to go through it this morning, but obviously later on Jesus also heals the man physically. But he sees their faith and sees basically that they're willing to do anything to get somebody to Jesus. Listen, sometimes we'll have this question, am, am I in family? What kind of, am I not in family? I'm going to give you a simple sentence so that you can constantly check where you're at on that. And it's in your notes, okay? If you want to know, am I in family? Am I in the type, am I working in the God-given type of family that God has called us all to be in. Okay? It's this question. Who are you carrying or who is carrying you to Jesus? That's it. Who are you carrying or who's carrying you? In a family, that's what we do continuously when we're working in the right understanding of what God has called family to be and community. This, and, and, and there's going to be times where others are going to carry you. And there's going to be times where you're carrying them. But the thing that we have to understand is twofold. Number one, we're going to either be carrying or we're going to be carried. But the second is just as important, if not more so, we have to carry them to Jesus. Okay? A lot of times what we do is we carry or people carry us, but we don't carry them to Jesus. Or we'll say, you know, it just is too hard. You know, it's just, it's just too inconvenient. You know, if, if we're going to do this egg thing where we give out stuff, I'm going to have to go to the store and pick up candy. <sighs> Who are you carrying? Or who's carrying you to Jesus? The final thing we want to talk about, kind of some application and understanding here why we need to find and be a part of a family. Now, listen, I know all of these things we can't possibly do by ourselves, but I do not believe we can do them by ourselves to the fullness that Christ has called us to and died for. Okay? So we need to understand that. So I've given you four. Let's look at them together. Number one, we need family to share joy. We need family to share joy. Listen, we have got to understand that, yeah, there could be some joy. But I believe the type of joy that God has for us is best seen and experienced in the concept of community and family and friends. And, and, and I, I, I keep saying family. Friends can be family. You know that? There are people that I have that are my friends that are my family. And it is amazing the joy that we can experience together 
together. Look at Philemon 1.7. Paul is writing to Philemon and he says this, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. I want to have that type of experience with somebody and have that type of experience. I want to give that experience to somebody else. Okay? Listen, I don't know if you've ever done this. And maybe, you know, I I, I like sports, so I go to kind of a sports mentality. I remember when I was kind of first getting into this concept of, of, of soccer. You know, I was kind of intrigued by soccer. I never, I played it one year and didn't understand it, but I always kind of was interested in it. I never had it, I never understood it. Well, I began to understand it a little bit better. It was kind of fun to watch. There wasn't a lot to watch during the time when it was on, and so I kind of got into it. And I remember going, I need to pick a team. Okay, because they started, they started showing the, the um, English Premier League on television. And so I, I got to pick a team over there to root for. And normally my teams are picked for me. And what I mean by that was I was born there. And so I followed them my whole life. It was easy to be a certain fan because I'm from Kansas City. And you guys are Denver fans because you're from here and all that sort of stuff. But, but I, didn't, I wasn't from England. And my brother was a fan way before I was. And so I knew who he followed. And I started thinking, I went through, oh, I could be a fan of this team. I never experienced this before. I could be a fan of this team. I could be a fan of this team. And I remember I had this moment where I thought to myself, my team, whoever I pick, is going to play my brother's team twice a year. And in that two years, during that time, we're going to argue and we're going to say, my team's going to beat your team, your team's going to beat my team. And I just came to this place where I went, you know what? I would rather celebrate with my brother. I'd rather celebrate with my family. So guess what? I picked his team. Why? Because I wanted to be, I wanted to call him up and say, we won! I wanted to share that joy with him. Listen, hear my heart on this. I know you're all Denver fans, but just listen to me. It's the greatest thing in the world that my son is a Chiefs fan. (laughs) Please don't throw anything at me. Why? Because we share that together. The joy that comes from that. You know, Gordon and Alicia, Emily's running around. She got her little Denver shirt on this morning. She said, I'm wearing a Broncos shirt. And I was very mature. And I said, oh, isn't that nice? You know, I didn't say something like, oh, you poor child. No, I didn't do that. And I, I promise you, as she gets older, that's, that's just a thing to share and have joy and enjoy. And listen, that's something that's so fleeting. It doesn't matter. Can you imagine the joy of, the, of our salvation that we can share with each other? To say, you know, it doesn't matter that it's hard right now because we have a future and a destiny that's greater than anything we've ever shared before. We can do that together and share it together. Number two, we need family to get healing. We need family to get healing. Listen, hear this. James 5, 16 says this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. May be healed. Okay? Listen and hear me. God can snap his fingers and heal you emotionally and spiritually. Physically as well. He can do it. But a lot of times, especially with the emotional side, God chooses to put people in your life to help you in those moments. There are people that God has placed to help bring you a level of healing, listen to me, that you would have a hard time getting without their help. Why? It's simple. It's simple because there are people in this room that are hurting and dealing with things that people in this room have already been able to be healed by and move forward by. And if we can confess those things and live in a community that is open to share the hurt and those things, we can bring a new level of healing. Think about it. How important is it at times when you're dealing with something physically and to be able to talk with someone who's already been through it? It means a lot means a lot and there's so many of us that we want this healing but we don't want to get close enough to people to confess to each other this is not confessing to people you don't know very well this isn't oh look we have a guest this morning i think i'll run over and tell him about the horrible things i did this week no the context of this verse is that it happens in a close tight-knit family of people that are trustworthy And I just have a simple question. 
Do you have those people and who are they? Meaning, if you, you should be able to name them immediately. It's okay to share those things with them so they can pray for each other. Listen, what the scripture says, confess your sins to each other and pray. It's not just confessional. It's not just, hey, this is what I did horrible and I'm out. It's having that relationship where you're growing together and praying together. Number three, we need family for safety. We need family for safety. Look at Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Now, hear, hear me when I say this. And I know what, you know what I mean when I, say, when, I, when I say these things. We need friends and family, listen, that are willing to say the hard thing. Look, I'm like you. I, I, I like having people around me that tell me how wonderful I am. I like having people around me that say yes to everything. And you know what? There's not a lot of safety in that. True safety a lot of times comes from having people around you that'll say something basically like this. I don't care if I make you mad right now. You're playing in the street and a car's going to hit you and kill you and I love you enough to tell you so. Now in our world today, we don't like that. That's judging me. How dare you tell me? No, no, no when it's in the right context, when it's in the right family, when it's in the right individuals, it, it, listen, it'll save you so much heartache and so much pain. I have people in my life that, you know what, it's not fun. I don't sit there and go, yay, they just told me that I was being an absolute moron. But I was. And I've gone, oh, man. Thank you, Jesus, that you've placed people in my life that love me enough to keep me safe. Listen, in our world today, hear me here, we need to surround ourselves with friends and family and community that's willing to look at us and say, this has got to change. Because I'll be honest with you, and maybe this is just me. Maybe it's just Aaron. This is just Aaron's issue. We tend to be blind at times to those things. We don't seem to understand. Or if you're like me, I understand about two years later. There's been things, hear my heart on this. There's been things that I did when I first got here at this church that I just cringe now. I go, why was I, why... I didn't mean it that way, but oh, why did I say that? I'll figure it out eventually. But usually the damage has been done. We need those people in our hearts and in our lives that love us enough to tell us the truth and keep us safe. The final one. The final one, and we kind of keep going back here. We need family to help us grow. We need family to help us grow. Look at Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now, I like pictures, and, and I, I, I think this is fairly simple to understand. But if I have a piece of iron in this hand and a piece of iron in this hand, it does not matter how hard I rub them, trying to rub them together. I am not going to sharpen them like this. Since we're all adults and all can understand these deep, deep, deep things, I think we all understand the only way that we're going to actually sharpen the iron is to bring the iron together. I know that's deep. But here's the silly thing. Spiritually speaking, a lot of us are sitting there and we're doing this. Why am I not getting sharpened? Why am I not sharpening others? I just don't understand it. It just doesn't make any sense. For things to sharpen, they've got to be close. They've got to come in contact with each other. And the other simple thing is when they do, there is friction, there is heat. There are things that have to take place in the growing process. Hear me. I've grown the most in my life obviously because of what Jesus is doing inside of me. But second, 
has been the people that God has placed in my life to help me grow. To help me to grow. And there has been times in those relationships where there has been friction. There's been times where it just... Why? Why? Because we're dealing with human beings. That God is still working out their salvation. Now that does not mean that we're not saved. But what it means is we're being transformed from glory to glory. That is a journey and a process. And none of us except Jesus and all of a sudden we're perfect. None of us are. That comes later, but not now. There is a process that God is working on. It's why we are at times asking God for forgiveness because we've messed up. But if we allow that to keep us from coming close, we're going to find that our growth potential takes a nosedive. We need to understand that. So I know family isn't easy. It's difficult. If the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to close. And I want to kind of, as I was thinking about this story, or this, this, this message and family and all those things, um, I believe it's in Matthew. Um, I apologize for not knowing the exact scripture off the top of my head. I wasn't necessarily um, planning to go here, but I just feel like that's something we need, I need to talk about real briefly. Um, Jesus talks about him, him going away. I think we remember this scripture. And when I was a kid, um, depending on the translation that you looked at, it, it would say something to the effect that Jesus was going to go away to prepare a place for us. Remember this scripture? And in it, it would talk about, he would say, in my father's house there are many mansions. I remember that word as a kid. I don't I remember if it was King James Version or New King James or whatever. And, and I just remember, oh, that concept of mansion, you know. And as a kid, that would kind of fit with, you know, streets of gold and all those wonderful things that heaven is and all those sort of things. And, and, and I remember later on them, them kind of coming back. And in other translations, they changed that, that word. They found that, that that word really wasn't translated well, whatever that word was in the Greek. I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but, but that word mansions was really not the best translation for it. And if you go to most more normal, or not normal, excuse me, but more recent translations, and you look at that same verse, it doesn't say mansions. You know what it says? It says, in my father's house there are many rooms. And as an adult, as I've gotten older, you know what I've learned? I like that. You see, a mansion is separate. You're in your mansion, I'm in my mansion, and, and you got, you got to come across the lawn, and you got to come in and knock on my door to get into my mansion. And this is my spot, and my place, and my thing. But this concept of rooms in the Father's house, you know what it reminds me of? The fact that Emily and Easton and I, we live in a house, and we got rooms. And that's Easton's room, and that's the guest room, and that's, this is M and I's room, and all the, I, I mean, but you know what? We're a family, and we live in the house together. Yeah, there, there's, there's a portion of it that, that's kind of Easton's spot and, and my spot, but you know what there is? Listen, Easton has one room, but we got a kitchen we all share, and a dining room we all share, and a living room we all share, and a family room we all share, and a backyard we all share, and a basement we all share, and a garage we all share. I love that. The place that we're desiring to get to so bad is a place where a family lives together in a house. Now, how strange would it be? Hear me. How strange would it be on this earth if my son, who lived in my house, only came downstairs, only left his room to eat, He only came downstairs when it was time to eat. And he would go, and he'd sit there, and he wouldn't say anything, and he'd eat his food real quick, and then he'd jet back upstairs and hide. And we wouldn't see him again until it was time to eat again. Now, I know that for some of you, that's, I've just described teenager. I get it, okay? But hear me on this. Spiritually speaking, that's what a lot of us are doing with the church. 
That's how we are defining family in the church. I show up to eat on Sundays and get my fill, and then I'm gone. And listen, hear my heart on this. You're missing some of the best parts if you live that way. And listen, I'm not going to lie to you and say, we're going to be perfect, and we're not, there's not going to be some pain in the journey. What I will tell you is this. It's worth it. It's so worth it. To have somebody or a group of people that when you're hurting, you can go to, and you know they're going to wrap their arms around you and say, man, we'll pray for you. Man, we're supporting you. Man, we're, we're backing you. To be the person that they come to when they're hurting. And you say, man, I'm there. I'm there. You know what breaks my heart about so much of all that has gone on in the last year? We have believed the lie of the enemy that has said you can have relationship. The type of relationship that God wants you to have without being willing to be close to the people that God has for you to have a relationship with. Look, I, I've been through this. I've said it. I, I understand people online. We love you. And there's health stuff. I get it all. But listen, you can have relationship with people that and it doesn't happen on a Sunday. Like right now, it's hard sometimes to get a big group together. But you know what? As far as I understand the law, you can still have people to your house. You can still enjoy fellowship on days that don't start with an S. But you know what? All we want to do, we want to run downstairs, we want to grab our meal, we want to run away. And that's not what God has for you and it's not what God has for me. And yeah, it's scary. And yeah, it's going to take courage. But it's worth it. It's so worth it. So, Father, as we come to you right now as a family, there's a reason why we say family. There's a reason why on the wood back on the back wall it says, as family we go. But, Father, more than any other time that I can, t I, I, at least in my lifetime, easy, there has been, I believe, a, an attack of the enemy against the family of God like never before. Like we've seen attacks on, on, on the nuclear family and all those things, and obviously that's still going on. But we have never seen a time in the history, at least of this country that I know of, where we have been attacked more by Satan who said, you know what? No, you can't gather together. You know what? You can't be close. You know what? You can't pray together. You can't sing songs together. We've never seen it like that. Why is that happening? I believe it's quite simple. The enemy knows how important relationships and families are. And he's looking at it as a way to destroy the church. And convinced us that, you know what? We can have the same types of things without doing the things that are necessary to have that type of relationship. So, Father, this morning, I pray that for myself and everybody here that we would make a new commitment to family. Not, not just biological family, which is important and good, but friends that you've placed in our life. This church body that you have brought us here, you have put us here. You put the lonely in families. You do this. It's up to us, though, to enter into those relationships. And so, Father, whether it's fear of change, fear of, of hurt, whatever the fear may be, that, Father, we would stand against that fear. We would be courageous. We would understand the importance of these things. And we would once again enter into relationship. We would enter into the close body of Christ that you've called us to be. And we would allow those moments to literally transform our lives. We need it, but we need your help. So Father, in this time, in this moment... God, I pray over every individual for a new 
level of courage. As we close this series, Father, no matter what it is, no matter what we've talked about throughout this entire thing, that, Father, that we would be known as a people that is courageously going after you no matter what. We love you. We thank you. At this time, have John and the worship team come and lead us in a closing chorus. So my life you have been And so my life you have been so, so good. Every breath that I am able, I will sing God, thank you that even in the beginning, you said, you know what? It's not good that man should be alone. You've shown us throughout Scripture, whether it be the relationship of David and Jonathan or, or the relationship of Jesus and his disciples or even Paul and Silas and all. There's, there's just a, you want to bring us together as a family. And God, I pray that you would help us to do that. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right. Thank you again for being here. For those that are online, we love you. We miss you. Can't wait to see you. We're so glad that you're joining us online. Can't wait to see you again here. For the rest of us, thank you so much for being here. Listen, we're going to take about a five-minute, eight-minute or so break. So we can kind of fellowship a little bit. If you need to use the restroom or whatever, and then we'll bring us all back in for our meeting, all right? Again, thanks for being here. We'll see you in just a few minutes.